TheBruce.com From The Cooperage Project in Honesdale Dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you. I'm Jason Tuga, host of The Mixtape. Every Friday night, it's my goal to bring WJFF listeners great music. Music from all over the world. Stuff that's been lost in the archives and needs to be heard. Classics you already knew you loved. And new stuff from established and emerging artists. All right here on The Mixtape, WJFF Radio Catskill. Friday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Welcome to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we've got the latest in jobs and the economy, including Friday's employment report. It's James B. Huntington and WorkShift Live. But first, we've been giving you updates on local and regional uh, election news pretty much through the day here. And we were doing it last night. It was election night. And uh, I think this will be our last major election report. So let's dust off the election bed one more time. For our check-in, our weekly news roundup with Liam Mayo, the River Reporter. Welcome back, Liam. Thanks for having me back, Jason. Thank you. Liam, did you get You were just on last night. Did you get any sleep last night? I got some, but I'm sure you were up later than I was. <laughs> Well, we're back here this evening to, to talk about it again. Um, we're going to talk about some of the results results that we know. Um, of course, just to recap for people, Governor Kathy Hochul won a full term as governor over Lee Zeldin. New York's 19th Congressional District saw Mark Molinaro beat Josh Riley. Pat Ryan won a full term for New York's 18th Congressional District, beating Colin Schmidt. Um, let's take a look at what happened more locally and that includes the uh, 100th Assembly District for New York incumbent Aileen Gunther, longtime Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther, beat Republican Lisa LeBou, her challenger. What can you tell us about this race? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you pretty much the same thing you just told me, that Gunther won re-election for the position. Um, her vote or her margin of victory was a little slimmer than uh Senator Peter Oberacker, who retained the his incumbency as senator of the 51st district uh, in the state Senate. Oberacker won by around 60 percent of the vote. Uh, Gunther won by around 55 percent, but both have retained their seats and will be representing this area in Albany. Have have you heard anything about um, uh, what what her challenger said? In, in uh, has she conceded or anything? Is there any message of further plans uh, for any kind of public service from Lisa Labou? Um I I haven't heard from Labou as of yet. Uh, I believe Gunther issued a statement on winning re-election, basically just thanking the people of the district, saying that she looked forward to bring back taxpayer money for important projects at home. Um, Being pretty yeah, clear and, about what the what the role is 
have somebody uh, in, up in Albany or in Washington, D.C. We're looking for them to bring back money for projects here at home. Um, something that we yeah. talked about last night, we talked about months ago, and we're talking about again today, is the two extra ballot propositions uh, in the town of Tustin. Now, every New Yorker had on their back of the ballot the uh, Bond Act, the Environmental Bond Act proposal, uh, which passed overwhelmingly in New York State, appropriating $4.2 billion to go towards environmental projects. Uh, but smaller municipalities had their own ballot propositions. In Tustin, voters were asked, shall commercial on-site cannabis consumption facilities be prohibited from locating in the town of Tustin? And the other question was, shall commercial retail cannabis dispensaries be prohibited from locating in the town of Tustin? As you, listener, you can hear, those questions were framed in the negative. So we were talking about this last night after we talked, Liam, many more numbers came out. What what happened with these proposals? Um I, I don't I think the results stayed the same from when we last talked about it last night. Um voters uh wanted to overturn the laws that banned those establishments in Tustin. So uh those establishments are now permitted in Tustin, uh cannabis dispensaries and cannabis on site consumption establishments. Um, slightly more voters were in favor of um, the dispensaries than of the um, on-site consumption facilities. I think when cannabis was originally discussed in the area, there was a concern about uh, people like smoking and then driving home. So I, it makes sense that there would be a little bit more skepticism on that point, but overall it was pro-cannabis. You know, and, and in in neighboring areas that that uh, legalize cannabis ahead of New York State, you're more likely to see some form of dispensary than you are some kind of uh, like a place of consumption. I guess it'd be like a cannabis bar, maybe is what they're talking about. So I also feel like just the model might be strange to people of like whatever form that might even take. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a cannabis on site consumption facility or a cannabis bar i'm sure they exist um or like something like a cannabis coffee shop but i think the question we're more likely to see a dispensary in in tustin than we would a um consumption facility so i think that question passing was potentially the more influential upon the area and I, I mentioned the, the the other proposal that every New Yorker had on the back of their ballot, this uh, Environmental uh, Bond Act. That was a proposal. It passed overwhelmingly. Um, what what does that say to you, Liam, given that, that you do reporting on environmental issues? Like, what, what do you think this means? I think it means that people care about the environment, and I think it means that people realize how important funding to protect the environment is. Um, a lot of the money allocated by this bond act, I believe, goes to specifically like climate, like capital projects. And in an area like the Upper Delaware River Valley and like the Catskills, um, nature takes its toll, like um, flooding from streams or erosion or um, deforestation, not that last one, sorry, but flooding, I think, especially is a project that um, more money can always help fix. So 
I think like what you were saying earlier about how um, elected officials really want to bring money back to the district. This is a district that could benefit from environmental money. So um, Sullivan County ended up voting to approve this by a, a lesser margin than elsewhere in the state, but it was 49% of voters casting their ballots for it, 40% casting against it, and then 11% not voting on it. So um, Probably not yeah. even turning their ballot over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes. But do you think, do you, is it, are these things that will be getting money, are they good policy in terms of accomplishing the environmental goals? Do you, do you think that, that it, it, this is what, that's, you explain what it means to, uh, on the part of voters, what they're looking for, what they hope from it, and that, yeah, it will mean, mean more money towards those projects, but are they good projects? Um, it would take someone much more knowledgeable than okay. I to answer All that right. question with certainty. <laughs> I, I will say that um, it. One of the things is these projects aren't just. They're, they're, it's not just this money goes to a project that gets completed. There has to be like people in the way um, of completing those projects. There's there are people who take that money and then make those projects happen. And at least in the Upper Delaware River Valley region. Um, there's the Friends of the Upper Delaware who have done a lot of work with federal and with state money to protect the river and to protect from sort of the things I was talking about, from erosion and from flooding. So um, I think we have uh, organizations in the area that are primed to do a lot with this money, um, which how much, however much of it ends up coming down here. You're primed to... to- you know they're they're ready to take those funds and do something with it, so they'll know what to do with it. And uh, it's a, the exact sort of thing they're looking for is funding. So sounds good. Yeah. Um. Now turning to Pennsylvania, and we've been uh, talking about this today as well. Matt Cartwright of uh, Pennsylvania's eighth congressional district was able to pull ahead of his opponent, uh, Republican Jim Bognett. Uh, he was able to do the same thing two years ago. He ran against the same opponent again this time, uh, beating him by uh, a little more than 2%. But uh, how about some more local races in uh, uh, Pennsylvania, like uh, Joe Adams in the 139th uh, Assembly District? Yeah, uh, Joe Adams was, I believe still is, the Wayne County, one of the three Wayne County commissioners and chose to run for the 139th um, as Republican. And he seems to be fairly strongly in the lead as of now. Um, He's, I'm sorry, I need to pull up the figures, but he is uh, leading with an overall uh, 64% of the vote in Wayne County and 62% of the vote in Pike County against his opponent, Meg Rosenfeld. So he has a fairly strong lead there. And then, but that's sort of just the percentages in the head on head. There were also a number of write-in candidates who, if you just sort of take the overall vote, ended up garnering around 14% of the vote. And there was, I believe, one candidate who was more democratically aligned and one candidate who was more Republican, Arably aligned. So I don't think the vote or the independent vote necessarily made a difference in the outcome, but I thought it was neat that there were such strong independent candidates in this race. 
Right. And now how about the 20th uh, uh, 20th Senate district in PA? Yeah. um, The Republican uh, candidates won in a number of local state Senate races. Uh, Incumbent Lisa Baker is leading by uh, around 75 percent of the Wayne County vote and 64 percent of the Pike County vote in the race for the 20th state Senate district. And for the 40th district, uh, Republican Rosemary Brown is leading with 68% of the vote. Um, but sort of looking more across, broadly across the state, something I've been seeing, and uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer is reporting on this now, there is a chance that the Pennsylvania Democrats will flip the state house. So... Oh. Uh, it was a Republican-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate, and there is a chance, it's not fully certain yet, but depending on how a few close races go, there's a chance that the House will turn to Democratic control. So that's not necessarily any of our local races that are contributing to that, but uh, that was some interesting news that I wanted to highlight. And that that is absolutely interesting because I I guess I had just assumed even though um I th- I think the Democratic candidate be was voted as a governor in Pennsylvania is that correct uh, last night that yeah. they'd still be facing a, a wholly GOP uh, state legislature but that may not be the case but it may be the case yeah and I think it I mean I haven't been following it very closely but I think it took people by surprise more generally, too. The first I knew that this was a possibility was sort of an offhanded comment in uh, live election posts from 538 that said, hey, um, we should check out the Pennsylvania House because it might turn blue. So um, that is still yet to be determined. But um, yeah, as you said, the Democrats won at the state level in Pennsylvania, and they could potentially win the House as well. Well, that's news. That's why we come to you. Liam, we're going to have to go. Is there anything else you want folks to know before we do? Um, thank you for voting last night. If you did, it helps keep democracy healthy. And if you didn't, um, I expect to see you there next time in two years. <laughs> Liam's going to be watching. Liam Mayo, River Reporter, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the latest on local regional election news. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Work Shift Live. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, a conversation with journalist and author Carmen Rita Wong about her memoir, Why Didn't You Tell Me? And about how writing has helped her understand her family's past. My youngest sister gave me a photograph that she had found in our dad's closet. If I had seen it at any point, it would have burst my life wide open. That's this week on Latino USA. Thursday afternoon at 2 on Radio Catskill. You're listening to Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. 
And right now it's that time of the week where we turn our gaze towards the latest on jobs and the economy around our listening area, around the country, around the world. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington for WorkShift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. What a way to make a living, Well, James, since the last time we talked to you, uh, two uh, major news items came to pass. One was Friday's employment report. The other one was, oh, yeah, uh, a big nationwide election yesterday. Let's take the employment report first, and then we'll get back to discussing the election like we just did with Liam in the previous segment. What was in Friday's employment report, and uh, what do you think it means? Okay, we gained 261,000 net new non-farm positions over the 200,000 estimate and way over what we need for population increase. The other numbers were mostly unfavorable. We have unemployment going up from 3.5 to 3.7% adjusted and up to 3.4% unadjusted. We have 300,000 more unemployed people, it's still quite low. We have another 100,000 out for 27 weeks or longer. The labor force participation rate and the employment population ratio both got 0.1% worse, 62.2 and 60.0%. We have wages up 12 cents, but less than inflation. We have... Oddly enough, more people employed. We gained 141,000 there. The AJSN, which measures latent demand for jobs, was almost exactly even. In general, we're in good shape from these net new jobs, although otherwise it's on the weak side. However, 35 to 3.7% unemployment, the range we've been in for six months, is not a bad rut. We're getting more positions, and we have unemployment really wildly inconsistent with being in a recession. So it was a forward month, although the gain was smaller than in the last few months. Okay, and you know, is your take still that we're that we're not in a recession? Um, or oh, absolutely not. We you don't have a recession with three point seven percent unemployment, even taking the two tenths of a percent gain here. It's just it simply does not work that way. We have inflation still being a problem, slowly coming down, but it's nothing like a recession. It's more the other way it's more like we have too much business activity in many ways as we keep talking about uh, a lot of this is essentially just a, a recalibration following a couple of very disruptive years with the pandemic and then a rebound from that right yes we've still we've caught up all 22 million jobs that were lost in the pandemic by then we haven't gained but we're on the way up, still consistently, month after month, we're getting way over the 40,000 or so jobs we need every month to cover population increase. Okay, moving on to the other big story, there was an election uh, yesterday. Does it uh, change the composition of the House and Senate? We're still waiting for the final makeup. Uh, uh, what's your take on what any of this means for jobs in the economy, at least at this point? 
Well, what it is is we're up in the air still. The House and Senate are both up in the air, and they're going to stay that way for a while, especially the Senate, where we have the key <clears throat> runoff in Georgia. Right. Where we're not going to know. That's not going to be until next month. We're not going to know really which way the Senate is going. It's a it's probably going to be Democratic, and the House is probably going to be Republican. That means that it's going to be split. Nothing is going to be easily passed. But what we mostly have here, we have a bunch of possible changes. It's interesting. I'm reading a piece in the New York Times deal book about what it would mean if we had a Democratic Senate and a Republican House, which is what seems most likely now, what there could be is some a lot of hearings, a lot of activity. There could be CEOs being aggressively questioned by a Senate subcommittee about why they're not pushing harder on climate change. Then the next day, the same group could be called before a House committee and ask why they're wasting shareholder money on climate change initiatives. Oh, boy. So, so uh, it's it, the business did not like this sort of thing. The Dow dropped 647 today, and they don't like uncertainty, and this is probably heading towards something bad, but it's nothing anybody will be able to make progress on and move forward on in the next month or so because of this runoff. So... We will see, and we don't we don't have much information, so expect stocks and such to be underperforming for the next month or so. It probably won't be permanent. It will go up almost certainly when they know the results, but for now, don't count on it. Okay, and now refocusing locally here. Last week you had uh, news about Sullivan County, uh, uh, a category which they're topping the state in terms of economics. And uh, since then you've gotten more news about how Sullivan County is doing. Is that right? Yes, some surprisingly good news here. We have the the 2021 economic impact for the, the Catskills, well, here in Sullivan County especially, going up 66% over the previous year, 2020, and 122% over 2019, which, of course, was before the pandemic. So right now we have $700 million in visitor spending. That's the economic impact on tourism right now here. We have four uh, 4,400 jobs with a payroll of $232 million. We have, we're looking at a gain at lower taxes of about $3,000 if there were no tourism generated state and local payments going in. So this is surprising given the state of the pandemic that we're so much higher than, but we may have a, we may have a situation where people are traveling more within the country and less internationally because of the pandemic, but it's quite strong here. We have the state average is 6.5% of jobs supporting tourism, and it's 15% here in Sullivan County. So 
it's really happening, folks, and we're doing the job, and it's delightful to see this going on in our area. And and just, uh, I mean, two things on that. One, just a reminder for the listener that the tourism industry is the number one uh, employer, number one industry in Sullivan County. And then also, um, even you, you mentioned a thing about reading into it in terms of travel. That's along the lines of what I was thinking right away uh, on this program, even during the the pandemic on air, talking uh, to folks from the Sullivan County Visitors Association and others speculating on, will this be a return in some sense to tourism in Sullivan County when once that people realize uh, they, they can't fly as far or there's reasons where it might be unappealing to fly? And all of a sudden, a lot of people living in the urban areas to our south and our east realize, hey, look, those those mountains are right there, and it's a good place to go. Yes, it could be just exactly what the Sullivan County Chamber of Commerce and the Visitors Association, which wrote this piece that I just paraphrased pieces of for you, yeah, they, it's exactly what they'd love to see happen, and it's happening without any great push or any great effort. Because part of what was at the end of the, the golden uh, era of the resorts, the mega resorts, the Concord and uh, the, the Gross Singers and that era, a part of the demise of that uh, was just cheaper airfare and that it was easier for people to fly further afield. So, Yes, it, yes. And with gas prices down over the last several months, the people who drive here, which is really what you're talking about for a lot of New York and Philadelphia, yes, that you will have more of. All right. And then I guess uh, finally, before we go, um, what about product demand? I know that plays into a lot of things. Are American corporations expecting more or less product demand moving forward? This is surprising, but a whole bunch of CEOs were polled. This is now about 10 days ago, the information here, but it hasn't changed much. We've had such a complete recovery in jobs and production and such. We have the CEOs saying things like McDonald's, we're raising prices 10%, sales are very strong, American Express more people applying for platinum cards. We have Hilton Worldwide, of course, lodging, saying that rising demand coupled with low industry supply growth means strong pricing power. Wyndham Hotels is saying much the same. JetBlue says they don't see any cracks in underlying demand. Pepsi, which makes the soda, different kinds of soda, as well as snacks, that they raised their sales and profit forecasts for the year because hmm, customers are willing to pay more for soda and snacks at this point. Colgate, Palmolive, a whole bunch of household needs like toothpaste. It's, it's important to take as much pricing as we could. Whoops, that means price increases. And then we have Chipotle Mexican Grill seeing minimal resistance to price increases. So that's what we have. We're not, we're not, they're not expecting demand to go down or to, to fall back to where it was, let's say, a year or a year and a half ago. So very strong for business. It does mean higher prices, but it also means more availability of the 
Okay, yeah, the demand's not going down, and they're not afraid of charging accordingly. Uh, I guess, James, we've got we've got like one more minute. In one minute, is that enough time for you to slip to me the truth about America's economic recovery? Yes, this was a Paul Krugman piece in the New York Times, sometimes biases to the left, but he's saying, he's pointing out that Consumer prices were 15% higher than they were before the pandemic, but average wages were up by 14%. So people in general, as a, as a whole, workers have been compensated almost completely for inflation. We have a variety of things indicating that the economy is really not as bad as some people are saying it is. Remember these jobs things and the absolute worst thing for the economy, and we lose sight of this because it's what we don't have now, is high unemployment and not enough jobs and people being able to make money. There's a difference between tightening your belt a bit because prices are up a little bit or even more than a little bit and people just not having any money coming in. So... That's what he sees it. Okay. Well, things might not be as bad as some folks are saying. Sounds like between Paul Krugman and James B. Huntington, that's an example of great minds thinking alike. James, thank you so much for another edition of Work Shift Live right here on the local edition. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. And that's going to do it for the local edition. We'll be back tomorrow evening with more right here at 6.30. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's community bank for over 100 years. Meeting banking needs with a variety of deposit and loan products. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. From Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com.